Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where cat videos are a thing this week. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. It's a kitty cat. Yeah, today we're talking about YouTube, kind of. Um, So one of the questions <laughs> that like I had for Beige, because we were talking about this the other week, I was like, what do you watch on YouTube? And I, I know we've kind of like talked around the edges of this topic before, like some channels that we dive into or creators that we follow, but we were just talking about like media consumption habits and stuff like that. And it's the time of the year right now where, like, gaming is kind of just on hiatus. I mean, it's I'm playing stuff, but I'm not playing anything new. And it's just like that January, February lull that happens every year. There's there's another lull that usually happens in the summer. But this one, I feel like it's worse because we just came out of that fall release season where there's always new things every week. And there's so much interesting to, like, dig into and talk about. So I find myself watching more video right now, like shows and, you know, movies and whatever. But I, I, I watch a lot of YouTube. So... In talking to you, I found out that you don't actually watch a whole lot. And I just thought it would no. be an interesting topic for you and I to actually get out there what we talk, what we actually watch, you know, how we use YouTube day to day. Because I think you and I watch YouTube differently. And I think that both mm-hmm. of us watched it differently than like younger audience would right now. I know my kids watch it totally differently than I do. So that's yeah, kind I, of where we're coming from with this topic. And I don't understand how younger people use it. And I sound like an old crotchety man, I know. But I have students and then who talk about the way that they use YouTube. I'm like, that's not what I ever would have thought. And then like your kids, I have friends with kids who do the exact same thing that you've told me that yours do. And I'm just like, that is not something I ever would have expected to hear from somebody, but I totally get why kids watch like these, these egg videos and stuff like that, where they just want to see what's going on. Yeah. My kids watch like Shopkin opening videos and like anything Uh that's like a blind bag that can be opened and you can try to collect everything. And they have, you know, there are some that are common, some that are rare and ultra rares. I mean, there's entire videos of just like half an hour, hour, hour and a half of somebody who's just paid hundreds of dollars to get blind bag after blind bag. And they open them mm-hmm. up one by one and talk about them and they line them all up. And like kids eat that up. Like yeah. my kids like love that kind of thing. And do yours play that? Because I've known people, I've known kids who when they're when they're playing that that's what they do is they narrate it like they're in one of those videos with their toys. My kids do. They don't try to narrate like those um opening blind bag videos but they have a lot of other channels they watch that are more interactive like it's a family that makes a youtube channel together where they do like arts and crafts or projects or science or like you know basic stuff like that and my kids will sometimes if they're making a project they will like turn it into a fake video and like narrate it as if they're narrating to a camera which is really interesting you know they're just kind of like i mean Honestly, it's kind of the equivalent of like me playing Power Rangers when I was their age. Like I saw yeah. Power Rangers on TV. I wanted to be a Power Ranger. You know, when I'm playing, I'm like, I'm a Power Ranger. And for them, it's, you know, they, they watch YouTube. They see these kids making videos of doing activities and projects. Mm-hmm. So when they are doing activities and projects, they want to pretend they're making a video. And, and I mean, it's interesting. we don't grow up. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. And I, we don't grow out of that either. I was in Target two nights ago and they had the new Power Ranger swords in the toy section. I grabbed two of those and just started like attacking my wife with it. Going like, I'm a Power Ranger now. And she was like, oh, my God. And I'm like, I'm playing a Power Ranger. I can't wait for this movie. And it's like, because that's what I did when I was like 10 years old. <laughs> that, that, that's what I loved. So I see new Power Rangers toys and I lose my mind. Yes. So that's part of it. But anyway, that's my kids. I know we want to talk more about like how you and I use it. Um, right. 
the the one thing that I think is interesting, and this is more like me using my my work mind, my marketing mind. Um, YouTube is still like the second biggest search engine in the world, mm-hmm. and it's all, it's second only to Google. So all those other ones out there, you know, the DuckDuckGoes and the the Bings of the world, all of that. That's all like third, fourth, fifth. Those are down the line from YouTube. I mean, the search Big engines time. it goes Google and then it goes YouTube. So YouTube is huge. I mean, I use it to look up like if I need to figure out how to do something and it's mm-hmm. physical and it wouldn't make sense to just look up the words. It's something I actually need to see, which honestly, if it, if it's something I could look up and it works that I could read it or I could watch it, I would still rather read it really quick. Um, but sometimes there's just something visual and you need, you know, yep. how do I do this? And so you look up a video really quick. I mean, I know zero about cars and I have fixed things in my Prius because of watching YouTube videos that are up there. And I mean, like stuff like that is fantastic. I didn't even think about that as, you know, the way I daily use it because it's so rare that that happens. But I mean, I don't know how to change a headlight, but I learned how instead of paying $400 at a dealership or a garage and just replaced my own headlights and things like that but that's what i use youtube for more than pure entertainment and sitting down as part of my television which i know a lot of people kind of use it as tv these days yeah and i do that somewhat but i'll talk about that kind of when i get to my section here i'm more curious do you actually subscribe to anybody like do you follow certain channels and watch like everything they put out or do you just randomly come back to it and kind of pick up whatever um mostly coming back randomly to it and pick up whatever is like recommended in certain genres and and like categories that that YouTube will give us on the app but the ones that we actually subscribe to and watch pretty much everything I say we is because YouTube isn't something that I just care about on my own it's something that actually Jennifer and I do as part of the TV that we uh, that we watch together or a couple of these channels and it's uh, like vet ranch I may have talked on here about vet ranch before have I, think I told you, you did. Yeah, yeah. where we were just watching it and we've gotten to the point where we watch everything that's put out because we like watching these these hurt animals getting better. Like it's uplifting. The people are nice. It's just it really is just kind of heartening to watch that. So we subscribe to it and watch everything that comes out from them. And then there's one called Woodworking for Mere Mortals that we watch every week because my wife or every time that there's something new out because the dude is funny. Steve Ramsey's funny. And my wife is a woodworker and she's learning how to do all of this stuff. I know zero about it. I'm bad with my hands. Like zombie apocalypse comes. I'm dead because I have zero practical skills. I can outrun them for a while. And, you know, unless I'm trying to explain Beowulf to them, I mean, like, I'm dead, like no practical skills, but my wife is great with her hands. And so she's making tables and shelves and and benches and all this kind of stuff. So she watches Woodworking for Mere Mortals to um, really get these basic foundational skills and to see how you do different things. And I watch it with her because I'm in there and it's interesting and the dude makes me laugh, but I don't like get anything out of it. I watch it because of her. And then she made me start watching Dr. Pimple Popper. And I thought I was going to hate it. Please tell me you've gone and watched some Dr. Pimple Dr. Pimple Popper after uh, we had that short discussion earlier this week. Nope, 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 ah. nope, nope. I saw it in the show notes and I asked, is this exactly what it sounds like? And you said yes. And I said, I do not ever, like, ever need to see that. So no, I it have is- not seen it. I'm not going to see it. It is fine. <laughs> 
It is exactly what you think it is. It is a dermatologist named Sandra Lee out of, I think, Los Angeles. And what's interesting about this is that it's not just pimple popping. That's just what she what what the the branding is. It's a dermatology channel where it's going through removing cysts, blackheads, all sorts of other kinds of dermatological this is entertaining stuff. Entertaining for you? And it's entertaining because I like learning things that I don't know, and I've actually learned a great deal about dermatology and the way that skin works from watching this and also there is something just unbelievably cathartic about it and i don't like watching like really gross like pimple extractions where a lot of pus Uh, or anything uh, comes uh, out uh, uh. but but what i like is i found one the other night where they essentially had to saw off the top of it where it looked like a a patty of sausage and it was it was unbelievably cathartic because i'm kind of a sicko and i've like always wondered like what would it be like to cut something off of like a person and it's like that's what it would look like okay okay okay. next channel next channel this is gross oh my gosh yeah and uh i watched some uh (laughs) that just makes me happy Uh, because that kind of thing doesn't gross me out at all um I watch some fitness channels occasionally, like I'll because I think the people are nice. I like learning things, not like exercise, like how tos and things like that, but like just like people's journeys, like kind of vlogs. Uh, one was called Obese to Beast that I really like. He's a nice guy. Uh, lost a bunch of weight. Got kind of uh, internet famous because he posted a video of what loose skin looks like after massive weight loss, and like he could pull his skin off and see it stretching from his stomach. And it's like people don't talk about that after massive weight loss so it's like this dude's really nice i've watched some of his stuff uh and then i really like one called run selfie repeat where she started taking pictures during marathons of cute guys as she was taking selfies and she's just you know nice to watch i keep it on in the background sometimes just listening as someone progresses uh during running training and marathon training like that that's the kind of stuff i watch on youtube we recently found one called like uh what was it called cinefix And it's kind of a best of like film analysis channel. And I know you've talked about one called like every, every every frame frame of painting. painting. Yeah. And Cinefix isn't quite like that, but it's like the 10 best uses of color in film history or the 10 best uses of camera movement. And it's really interesting to go back and watch films to where it was talking about the camera becoming a part of becoming a character as opposed to just kind of showing the action. And I really, really like this because it ties into that kind of film scholar thing that I was doing for so long and going back and working on my master's and doctorate level. I love that kind of thing. So Jennifer and I found this and I've watched a few of theirs and intend on going back and watching a lot of their backlog. And then there's kitty videos and puppy videos. Um, I love puppy and kitty videos. Like, I don't tend to watch them a lot, like, on their own. Like, if somebody posts one, sometimes I'll watch it. My wife will send me really exceptional ones, but I don't tend to seek them out. But with everything that's been going on lately, politically, just kind of the cultural, just that overwhelming sense of negativity that happens, it's like, Jennifer and I will go to YouTube. And I know I talked with this on one of the newest episodes of the Health Hacks podcast, but we go and we turn on, like, compilations of the funniest puppies or cute 
cutest kittens or whatever like this and then just play long playlists of animal videos because it reminds us that there is still pure goodness in the world it's like there is nothing negative about this it is all just like oh and laughing and cuteness that that sometimes i just hug my dog and i'm just like man this dog is there's nothing but goodness in this dog and that's the way that those videos make me feel you watch like an hour of like cats and dogs playing and puppies being friends with chicken and it's just like this this is what is right in the world and it it really uplifts us to be like okay we're not looking at politics we're not reading you know about the resistance and all this negative stuff it's just like okay here are some kitties and we love that so that's really the main stuff that i use youtube for watching uh music videos that kind of stuff i can't find on other streaming stations cool yeah and that's kind of like you said that's basically like everything, right? I mean, besides, obviously, yeah. both of us, you know, if people pass around a link or you see it like yeah. blow up on social media or, you know, someone like texts it to you. But outside of that, like those are everything that you do regularly. Yeah, I mean, I might catch up on some last week tonight or Stephen Colbert clips of something that, that I missed on a late night show because I'm asleep or anything. Samantha B episodes like monologues. But other than that, I really don't use YouTube that much for anything other than just that kind of tertiary to the side. It's like third level of TV there where it's like stuff that we like, but we don't consider it anything like a primary form of entertainment when we want something mindless we just sit on the couch watch some puppy videos watch some woodworking videos or some cysts being removed um okay so it's <laughs> <laughs> the last one that just throws me off um okay so like i also you know i'll click on stuff that gets passed around and links that get shared and blow up on social media sometimes but I don't really like watching YouTube on my computer. I don't really like watching it on my phone. And yes. I think one of the things that actually made me start getting into it in the past couple years here is that Plex has really good support for YouTube. So what you can do is you can take a YouTube link, basically send it over to your Plex server, and it will just like store it in a to be watched section. And okay. then when you go into Plex, just as if you were going to watch a show or a movie or whatever else you have through your media server, um, there's a whole section in there of like videos that are waiting to be watched. So whenever I hit a video and it's over like a minute, maybe a minute and a half, I have a little button that I can click and it's basically just a Chrome extension and um, it, it will search the page that I'm on in my web browser for any video that's there. And if it finds one, which on YouTube, it always finds one, um, it will grab it and it'll just add it into my plex queue essentially so i don't ever watch like all of these ones i'm going to talk about here in a second i don't ever watch these on my computer like i will go probably once a week i will click on every one of these channels and if there's anything that i want to watch i will hit that button and i will just add it to my plex queue so when i actually okay. sit down to watch it i'm watching it on my tv in my living room on my couch and that also yes. frees up my phone. Like if I want to do other stuff while I'm watching, you know, I can still be on social media or I can be playing like a Fire Emblem Heroes or something that's low key. So it's not like the one and only thing that I'm doing most of the time. Some of the channels are really good and they take up all my attention, but a lot of these aren't, you know. And I have a question about that, because whenever I find a video like that, there's like a save for later 
on YouTube that um, that I use. Like I see that as being more useful than Plex because that way it's just in the YouTube app or the YouTube web page. Or you know, I use the PS3 YouTube app to watch all the stuff on my couch as well. And uh, I've just like I don't see the benefit in using Plex, using a third party one as opposed to the first party one that with the built-in native support. Uh, I use, I mean, Plex is like the media hub for my whole house. So it's, it is the first party everything to me, basically. Mm. Like if I ever have a chance to do my media through Plex, I will always do that. And then everything else comes secondary. I mean, See, and I, Plex doesn't work well for me. On the PS3, I've run into issues where I have to go in and restart my computer and my server. It's just constant like pain and, and trouble to use it. So I've pretty much stopped using it for anything that I was doing it with. Yeah, and I Doing never have trouble with Plex. Plex is like one of the best programs that I use across anything. Like I love Plex Media Server. It's so good. And I mean, I would rather watch stuff off Plex that I can watch on Netflix. Like if I have the show already, like I have the entire run of The West Wing, you know, because right. it's, it's my wife's favorite show. Yeah. It's a show I really like. I have it all in Plex. I have it all locally on my computer. I could watch it on Netflix, but why would I like Plex? works great you know and then you're also not part of it is like for stuff that we rewatch, like a couple movies that are our favorites and then shows like that then you're not eating up the bandwidth you know you're not eating up the bandwidth of the house you're not like if you have a data cap wherever you live you're not incurring data cap costs because you're not true. streaming so much hd video it's all of that kind of thing comes into play but yeah i mean plex is i've talked about it before so i won't go on too much more but plex is you know the main media hub for my house so anyway that's how i do my youtube is I almost always throw it into the Plex queue and then I will sit down and I will just watch video after video on Plex. So I kind of have, I have a lot more channels and like creators than BJ does. Um, oh, so yeah. I tried to group them by category. And oh, okay, so the one thing that doesn't really fit into this is that I will also sometimes look up gaming videos. If it's a game well, that I'm yeah. hearing a lot of good things about, but I want to see some actual play, I'll just, I'll go into YouTube and type whatever, you know, whatever person's channel I land on is what I land on. I just need to see a couple minutes of actual gameplay instead of yep. game that's been filtered through the press or through, you know, controlled coverage kind of thing. Yeah, but, and I okay. used to watch a lot of World of Warcraft boss videos and that kind of thing, you know, the prep videos to see how that went. But when I'm not raiding, I mean, that's not something that I care terribly much about. I'll go and see what's going on in a game I haven't played in a long time or to look at, oh, this boss fight at the end of this raid. You know, they've done cool things with it, but that's how I keep up with a lot of games I don't play anymore. But I, did, I don't even do that so often that I even thought about it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So that's just a side note. But okay, I, I kind of made three tiers of things here. So I'm going to work my way up towards my favorite ones, essentially. So the first first round here, let's talk about channels that I'm subscribed to. And I kind of just scan their new stuff. But I probably only watch a video off of any one of these channels, like every couple months. Like, I, okay. you know, I stay subscribed because it's worth it when I hit on those videos that are really good. But most of the time... I just I kind of check in on it. I glance through all their new videos and I'm like, nope, I'm fine. So a lot of these are more on the corporate side. So um, Penny Arcade TV. I really like the Penny Arcade guys. Every once in a while they have a really good video, but uh, a lot of them are misses. There's Dungeons and Dragons and Nintendo and Star Wars 
all of those are kind of like big corporations that try to put out a lot of content, but only rarely is it worth my time. But, you know, every once in a while, there's a new Star Wars teaser that like drops or something with Star Wars Rebels that'll drop on that channel or Nintendo. Like, you know, I can ignore them for months on end and then suddenly they will put out 15 videos of new Switch games when they get announced all on one day. So it's stuff like that. I keep my eye on it because every once in a while it really pays off, but I'm not watching everything. And then there's a channel that you've probably heard of called Rocket Jump. And there's a I've sister heard channel. Of it, okay, there's a sister channel. I don't channel. even know what it is. Yeah, okay. So there's there's Rocket Jump and then there's Rocket Jump Film School. And they're both the same people. Rocket Jump is like their shorts that they've produced or they have a couple longer form things like there's a series called Video Game High School. It's like full oh, 30 yeah. minute episodes. But they do a lot of shorts and they're basically their own production company now. And after they got okay. big enough that they started making big productions, um, they spun off this extra channel called Rocket Jump Film School. And it teaches you a lot of behind the scenes for production, but very like 101 level. I, every once in a while, will watch those, but I know most of the content that they're teaching because I did that professionally. But every once in a while, they hit on something that's more on the like cinema end and less on the production end, and those I will watch. So again, it's a channel that pays off every once in a while because I stay subscribed. See, and that's the kind of thing that I would watch because I know so little about video production and I'm interested in it, but it's not something that I... It's not something you can read about. So for a long time, I really was watching a bunch of like YouTube, like what did they call it? YouTube University or something like that. Creator school, something where I would watch a lot of stuff like this just to learn the basics of it and understand it. But I've never, you know, gone and created anything really because, you know, I hate being bad at things. Yeah, I can see that. And then the only other one in this category, and this one might eventually get bumped up into the next category, but it's Waypoint. So Waypoint is a newish website. It's um, a division of, I think it's Vice. It used to be like a very, very small subset of Vice, and they called it like Vice Gaming. But they got a new whatever editor-in-chief or... I, I don't actually know the structure of their company. Oh, yeah, they, I did read about yeah, this. Yeah, they got Austin Walker, who's just fantastic, and he's done a bunch of other gaming stuff, and he has started to hire up you know, a crew around him who do reporting, but they don't do just the day-to-day news reporting. They do like in-depth stories that are really interesting. So I already love the website. Like I said, I think it came out in the last six months when they rebranded it and got a new set of writers and you know, video guys, bloggers, podcasters like whatever they do Mm -hmm. everything you know they're a modern media wing of a company and their writing is already fantastic so it's one of the sites that i read like everything that comes across from them but their video content is starting to get there but it's not quite there yet they're still kind of getting their studio space set up they're still getting their technology figured out some of their streams are just kind of like them fighting with the tech still but it's something that i could see (laughs) given a couple more months that I would start watching it more and more over time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I've I've seen stuff like that. That's actually kind of the way I am with print publications. And uh, I shouldn't even say print. That's what I say for, uh, that's what I use my catch-all for, like just normal text-based websites, is I do that when I'm like, oh, this is going to be really good soon, and I'm going to come back and check on it, but they haven't found their footing yet. Yes, exactly. So that's where Waypoint is right now. Um, but that gets me to kind of my second tier of stuff. And these are channels that I watch most of their content. I don't watch everything, but I watch most of what they put out. Yeah, so these are ones that I start, like, really recommending. One is 
it's Mark Brown, which sounds very generic. But if you Google mm. or search for on YouTube Game Maker's Toolkit or Boss Keys, those are kind of his two key series. Game Maker's Toolkit is where he dives in deep on gameplay mechanics and gameplay design and talks about like the history of it, where it's at now, where it could go in the future. It's a fantastic series. And then the other one called Boss Keys is him playing through all of the Legend of Zelda games in order and talking about how the dungeons are constructed and how it changes over time. And he has come up with his very own way to map out Zelda dungeons based on like the flow through them. And it's it's super fascinating. I'm not even going to try to do it justice in audio form because you have to see it. But look up boss keys if that sounds interesting to you yeah that sounds interesting and weird yeah it's it's really good stuff though um another one in this category is shay Lindsay, which is c-h-e-z Lindsay, and it's somebody who it's Lindsay. she used to do stuff on another channel for someone else and then she spun up her own youtube channel but she does breakdowns of like story and characters and structure of narrative and it's usually related to movies but not all the time um some of her sub series in there are related to like what is the canon of a character how has a character changed over time through literature and print and then movies and like different adaptations and this is one that beige i think you might actually like more than i do um because i yeah, watched that sounds really cool yeah i watched some of it but i don't watch all of it as i've been watching through it i thought that you would probably like this one a lot yeah i probably would because that exact that's exactly the kind of thing that i enjoy like i love that kind of tracking across time yeah, and some of her really good ones that I loved were like 40-minute video essays on a movie where she digs really, really deep. So that's cool. That's Shay Lindsay. The next one is Vsauce, which is one that I heard about for a long time, and I never checked it out because I thought the name was dumb, but <laughs> yeah. I, it turns out that I liked it, so I should have taken people's recommendation. But it's there's three Vsauce channels. I watch the main one that's just called Vsauce, or sometimes I think they call it Vsauce 1. It's so basically each channel is a different guy, but they're all kind of part of the same organization group, whatever. But yeah, Vsauce, he talks about like philosophy, math, psychology, science, things like that that are usually really interesting to me. Sometimes it's a little mind bending, but not in a bad way. Um, It's things that like expand my mind and make me think, which I like. Okay, And it's it's usually interesting. Yeah, it's usually interesting, but every once in a while it gets a little bit overdone. Like most of these are longer. They're like the 20 to 30 minute range. Generally, sometimes it's just like move on to your next point. You know, like you've gone a little bit too long on summarizing this thing and then coming back to summarizing it again, which is why I don't watch absolutely everything they put out, but I watch most of it. And then there's extra credits, which they have kind of two sub series in the extra credits channel. One is all about gaming. That's the one that I can recommend. I watch every single one of those that comes out. And then they have another wing that's all about like history. And I don't like those as hmm. much, but I know that some people do. So if you're into history, maybe check out that. But yeah, look up extra credits. They do good stuff. And then there's a new-ish channel called No Clip by Danny O'Dwyer. Have you ever looked at any of his stuff? No, I've never even heard of that one. Okay. He worked for, I want to say it was GameSpot for a long time, and then another publication before that. But he's a guy who does really good, really in-depth video, like essentially documentaries, but about the video game industry. And he felt more and more hampered over time working within these big media companies because the big media companies want you to churn out content after content to get views and clicks and likes and subscribes, right? And he wanted Mm -hmm. to do 
more of the documentary things that take months on end to actually get the interviews, get the information, put it together in a good way and make a coherent documentary out of it. And he got to do a little bit of that. And that was always his best work. But to be able to do that, he would have to do all that churn content, you know, stream and impressions yeah. and reviews. And he he didn't want to do that. He wanted to devote all of his time to doing video game documentaries. So he left his work. He went crowdfunded and he made this channel called No Clip. And that's all that he's doing now. He's only doing in-depth video game documentaries, and they are really, really good. There's only a couple out right now because he takes his time. But it shows, like, it really shows how much time they put into each one of these, which you might like. Yeah. You, you might like because you like documentaries. Yeah, I love documentaries, and I really like video game documentaries. That's something that I prefer over, like, Let's Play and other types of gaming channels. I don't really like watching a whole lot of live streams and, and just gameplay stuff, but I love documentary-style videos on history of gaming, how, you know— just the background in so many things, how things tie together. Like those are the videos that I tend to watch a lot of, especially when they get recommended to me. Yeah. So you might want to check out No Clip. It's good. And then another one that I've talked about in the past is Tested. And they always brand themselves as Tested.com, even though it's just a channel called Tested on YouTube. I mean, they have the website also, but it's basically right. what Adam Savage does now. Um, even though they did it even before Mythbusters was done, um, it's it's what he does now. So yeah, it's tested.com and it's Adam. And then he has like three, four, five other people that are on camera, plus like a camera crew that's regular. So it's a big group of people. And the reason I don't watch everything they put out is because the Adam Savage videos are fantastic. But the ones that don't have him at all, some of the other hosts I just don't like at all. They're just not good on camera. And some of them are okay, but most of the time I just, I look at the tested channel. If there's any video with Adam in it, I add it to my queue and I watch it and I'm happy with it because it's about him either making things or investigating things like props and filmmaking and stuff like that. But it's mostly him and making things and the process he uses to create, which I just find fascinating. And I don't like Adam Savage, so I don't think I would like that channel at all. I know we, but I know that we have talked about in the past how I kind of got burned out on MythBusters after a while, and I just—that's the kind of thing that I don't think I would enjoy. Yeah, and I—I I don't think you would either if you don't like him. But if you guys yeah. do, if you were ever a fan of MythBusters, anything like that, um, check it out. It, you might find it interesting. And then I get to my last tier here of things that I love. These are the creators and channels I watch absolutely like everything they put out, like no question. So the first one on here, why don't you take a stab at saying that, Beige? Can you pronounce it? Because I sure is, I cannot. Quartzgesagt? Something like that, yeah. Quartzgesagt. It will be in the show notes if you guys want to look it up. Quartzgesagt, yeah. Yeah, but it's a channel, and I want to say it's based out of like Australia or something. So maybe if you're Australian, it's a word that means something to well, you. It looks like it's German, like taking having taken like three years of German in college. Like, I think it's German. Maybe, but it is kind of similar to what I like about Vsauce, but it's never overdone. You know, it's the philosophy, math, psychology, science, like earth science, um, kind of projecting towards the future, futurology, all of that kind of stuff that makes you think. That's what Kirschkeskak is. Oh, man, I'm just going to stop trying to say the name. But <laughs> that's that's what it is. It's always well done. And it's never overdone. So I've watched everything they put out. I'm going to keep watching everything they put out. It's really good stuff. 
Kurzgesagt, German for In a Nutshell, is a Munich-based YouTube channel and design studio with a distinctive perspective on design and animation within the fields of education, science, and commerce. Founded in 2013, the studio, the studio engages in information design projects of all kinds. Oh, that's... Okay, cool. In a Nutshell is the other thing they go by. I forgot about that part, but that makes sense if it actually means that. Because, it does. Yeah, they, they take big topics and then they condense it down to, you know, in a nutshell, how do we explain this to the general public? Okay, that it's, makes sense. It's good stuff. The next series is, it's, okay, so you would have to go to Polygon, and the Polygon YouTube channel is full of lots of different creators, lots of different people, and these are generally the channels that... <laughs> It bugs me in YouTube that like sometimes there are creators, but they're grouped into like a larger channel and you like one creator, but you don't want all of the junk that everyone else puts out. Do you have any? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. I know exactly what that is. That's why it, I wanted to really like Geek and Sundry for a while. Yes, like I yes, love the idea is, of it. That's but what it's I was thinking that of. kind of conglomeration. It's like I can't find what I want because it's just so much stuff. It's like you throw a bunch of noodles at the fridge to see which ones stick. And it's like I can't find the one noodle I want. Yes. So Griffin McElroy works for Polygon and every video piece that he puts out is worth watching, but you can safely ignore all of the other stuff on that site. I mean, if you know any of the other personalities or any of the other writers, some of it's okay, but nothing yeah. compares to the stuff that Griffin does. So he has the ser one of his ongoing series right now is called Touch the Skyrim. It's where hmm. him and another guy every episode, they add more mods to Skyrim until they break it. So by the time... <laughs> By the time they finish a version of it, the Skyrim is just unrecognizable as Skyrim anymore. And that's kind of cool. They yeah, they did the first three episodes. They called it like 1.0, 1.1, 1.2, you know, like that. Um, and yeah. they, they got to the point where they just like they basically essentially broke the game and then they reset everything. And then they just started version 2.0 with a whole new mod stack, you know, and they kind of make up their own objectives and their own things as they go along. They talk about how they want to tweak it. And then Griffin will add tons and tons of mods to the game and the other guy is not the one playing he's the one watching so every time a new mod pops up the guy has to try to call it out and be like wait that's not normal skyrim so it's kind of uh, this back okay. and forth between adding mods and then the other guy trying to figure out what mods have been added but it's just funny and it's entertaining and it's good stuff another one of his that was more straightforward he did a pokemon nuzlocke run that was really good it was just I've never been that interested in watching somebody run through a game before, but Griffin's Pokemon Nuzlocke run was really good. Um, there's you may one... have to explain to me what Nuzlocke is. Okay, Nuzlocke is, and I'm not going to remember the rules off the top of my head, it's a very, very hardcore way to play Pokemon. Okay. It's essentially, you have to play through the game if any of your characters die, if any of your Pokemon die, or not die, you know, in Pokemon they get knocked out. But yeah. if a Pokemon ever gets knocked out, you have to treat it as if it is dead and you have to go release it forever. Oh, so, you did tell me about that at some point. You, yeah. we, we did talk about that. That's one of the rules. Another one is like you can only catch the very first Pokemon that you encounter on each new route or something like hmm. that. Um, there's a bunch of rules in place, but it's, it's a kind of standardized hardcore way to play Pokemon where you are... Is taking all of these rules the community has set up and putting them on yourself you know the okay. game would never there's no like option to switch it on in the game it's just something that you right set as your own challenge that's what a nuzlocke run is that makes sense like i i'm not that kind of gamer but i always like you do the uh what was it called the f it's not the four hero challenge but uh 
four something fiesta four, four job, job fiesta, fiesta where that's the kind of thing that that i know that you enjoy and i love hearing about but i just get frustrated by that kind of gaming yeah i i can totally see that but like uh, it's just interesting griffin likes to take games oh, yeah. and then play them in fascinating ways so Another one that I really like is called Monster Factory. It's one that he does with one of his brothers. And Monster Factory, they go into games that have very robust character creators, and they try to make essentially crazy characters out of it and give them a backstory and like build up the fiction around the character for like yeah. what this character could be and why they would look this way and like how they fit into the world. And they just do it on the fly. You know, it, it's basically an improv session done through a character creator. And then they take that character into the game and they play the first part of the game and just kind of interact with the world a little bit. And if if you're interested in that at all, look up the final Pam because it's one of my favorite ones. It's what they did for Fallout 4. It was really, really funny, really, really good. And another one in this vein, he did. He just started. There's only a couple episodes out, but it's called Peacecraft or World of Peacecraft. And it's where he's trying to go basically everywhere in Azeroth in World of Warcraft hmm. without ever fighting anything or yeah, being aggressive. Yeah, I've seen stuff like that. I've seen the guy trying to level up. I don't know if he's still doing it. Leveling up only by pacifistic ways, where he was, where he was like doing it through herbalism and uh, trade skill gathering. Yep, and it's that kind of idea, except instead of trying to level up, he's just trying to take a tour around the whole world. It's it's interesting and it's fascinating, but again, it's because of him. Like it's his personality that drives all of these. So, yeah. If any of that sounds remotely interesting, go to the Polygon channel and then look for the ones done by Griffin because Griffin is just fantastic. Um, the next two I won't dwell on very long because I've talked about these guys before. But Shut Up and Sit Down does basically the mm -hmm. best like tabletop board game content out there, and their video reviews are the best thing that they do. So. Go to their YouTube channel, watch all their video reviews. They're fantastic if you're even remotely interested in tabletop gaming. And then two of the guys from Shut Up and Sit Down do the same type of thing for video games, and it's called Cool Ghosts, or you can go to okay. coolghosts.net. It's just like, it, it's one of these channels that I like because they're covering a topic that I'm super passionate about. You know, they're doing video game coverage, but they are not doing anything with like the churn news cycle. What's the latest? What's the greatest? It's like any part of video gaming that they think is interesting, they will dive deep into it, but they will easily ignore all the AAA games if they don't have anything interesting to say about them. They won't make content just to make content. They only make it when they're very passionate about something or interested about something. Or they have something good to say about it. That's why Cool Ghost is on here. I've watched everything they've done. I'm going to keep watching everything they do. Does that kind of make sense? Like, I don't know if yeah. I'm describing where they fit very well in the video game spectrum. I think I have a pretty good fit on it. Pretty good handle on it. Okay, cool. Now we're getting into basically my top three recommendations. So one is... I found this very recently. It's called Movies with Mikey. And I think I talked about it a little bit. I think so. Yeah, I think I remember you talking about this one. Yeah, it has made me interested in movies that I never would have otherwise checked out. At its core, it's it's kind of a movie review show. But he will, again, it, he'll only review movies and dive in deep when he has something that's worthwhile to say about it. He won't just do it for the sake of getting content out there. Movies with Mikey is just, it's fantastic if you're interested in movies and cinema in in any way and this was honestly part of the inspiration that i had to go back through movies and tv shows and games that i like and give them another shot and give them a deeper analysis 
um, like I told you, I started to do with like yeah. Scott Pilgrim and I started to go back through some TV and stuff. It's directly because of movies with Mikey, like wow, his love of the craft and like everything that goes into it inspired me to be like, yeah, I got to go back and really like dig in deep on some of these movies I like and see why I like them so much and see if I really love them and see if I can figure out like what are some of my favorite movies because I I don't know I don't know like favorite movies I could tell you favorite series probably but that's kind of copping out you know yeah yeah I mean having favorite I, that's odd to me like like I don't I cannot wrap my mind around not having favorite movies I, I legitimately don't have favorite movies because I don't rewatch stuff enough for it to have become a favorite okay Huh. It's but so yes, movies with Mikey has inspired me to go back and start digging into that kind of stuff. CGP Gray, CB, CGP, I'm gonna keep messing it up. CGP Gray is a little bit like Kyrgyzstan, a little bit like Vsauce in that it's just kind of like topics that make you think, but are also educational. He does stuff that sometimes it's super educational, but it is never ever boring. Like, he covers topics like voting systems and, like, geography of the world, you know, borders between yeah. countries. He has a series on, like, automation and what automation is going to mean for the world. One of his videos was about, like, coffee and how coffee, the coffee industry works right now mm -hmm. in the modern world. He has a history of the royal family of Great Britain. He has, you know, a series on the domestic, like, domestication of animals and one about, like, the Black Plague. And it... Uh, they they don't necessarily directly ever tie into one another sometimes they do sometimes like one series kind of leads into the topic for the next but it's just kind of whatever he thinks is interesting he educates you about it but keeps you entertained the entire time so i've watched all of cgp gray videos and if i run out of things to watch ever and i want something to just like just something you know kind of like my default this is i'm just gonna watch whatever yeah. I will almost always go back and watch CGP Grey or my last recommendation here, Every Frame of Painting. Like these are my two absolutely favorite YouTube creators that are out there. And what's really interesting to me is that through all of the video game stuff that you do and like that being your thing, that your two favorite YouTube channels are not gaming related. Yeah, I mean, I I never stop learning. Like if I yeah. could be a perpetual student and get paid to do that, I would do that for my entire life. Like, I mean, I know some people hate school and they just got through it because you have to get through it. I had classes like that. I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. but Oh, yeah. Everybody does. I love learning. I'm always teaching myself new things. I'm always seeking out new information. So it doesn't surprise me at all that these are like two of my top ones. But I can see how knowing my general interest, how it might be surprising. Yeah, and I mean, I'm the same way where I want to learn everything, like every last thing in the world I would love to learn. Like that is a big existent... Uh, that is a big existential thing for me. It's like, I will never learn everything I want to learn, read all the books I want to read before I die. And I'm like, oh, but yeah, sad, sad times. But that's the thing. So I'm always pulling in things like that and, and just wanting to to know little tidbits and trivia and, and even dive deep on whatever I love. But yeah, it's I totally get like wanting to to just get that kind of thing invested and just like those being your favorites. Yeah, they it's absolutely hard for me are. to find someone I care about enough to watch all of that. Yeah, and like I I just love these channels. Like I said, these are the ones that I'm talking about the ones I watch absolutely everything they've put out and I've watched it multiple times, probably multiple multiple times. Um so yeah, my my last one is Every Frame of Painting. I know I've talked about it before, but 
it is whereas movies with mikey is kind of a movie review show and he gets you interested in movies you might not be interested in before or like gets you out of your comfort zone which is why i like movies with mikey every frame of painting is in-depth video essays on the production of film and like how it works behind the scenes for cinema and like what goes into you know like the score of a film or what goes into the action of a film or the editing and it's a really in-depth look that kind of bridges the gap between just straight up here's how you do production which is something like rocket jump film school very much like teaching you you know this is school i'm going to teach you and something like movies with mikey which is in-depth film like critique and criticism this is educational but it's it's an essay format i don't even know exactly how to classify it but if you want to learn more about cinema i i can't recommend every frame of painting enough and a couple good places to start um check out the jackie chan episode it's about how to do action comedy check out the Edgar Wright episode, which is how to do visual comedy. Those are both like fantastic. And then there's one that's all about the Marvel symphonic universe, which is like how the Marvel movies don't really have like a, a soundtrack that you can mm. recall off the top of your head compared yeah. to something like Star Wars, right? Something iconic right. and why that is and how you basically have like temp tracks that people use when they're editing video now and how temp tracks are impacting composers in modern cinema and how that has fed into yeah. the Marvel universe. That would be fantastic because we had uh, we have a film festival here in Florence where every year people come in and one of the connections is uh, Yondu. Um, I don't know from Guardians of the Galaxy. I can't remember oh, his yeah. name now. Uh, the the dude like he is really good friends with uh one of my friends at the university here, and like so we we have a connection to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the crew and actors and stuff like that. So we had the sound designers come in at this film festival a couple of years ago, and we had the guy who did um what was uh Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack uh, who picked all of the songs for it and the sound designer for iron man three and uh just a bunch of these like maybe even the one from avengers but there are like four people who worked on the mcu who came in through all of these connections that that are here in florence and it was astonishing to learn about while there's not that overarching kind of symphonic cohesion that harry potter or star wars or any of these have that just the the level of control that they have over the individual songs as they're played not the score but the actual soundtrack to it that it was so fascinating to learn how all of that worked and how they were chosen and why they were chosen for so many things that uh with that like Go on YouTube, speaking of YouTube, and look for the Mandarin Chinese version of Blue, that uh, that that song from the 90s, that blue, dee-boo-dee-ba-ba-doo, that one, and there's a Mandarin version that they had specifically written and recorded by the original artist for the Chinese release of Iron Man 3, and it's wonderful. And it was just stuff like that going into it where, no, there's no cohesion to it, but there are all sorts of very specific choices being made in terms of sound for it, for the for the overall MCU. Yeah, and this is the kind of thing that makes me think that you would probably like every frame of painting if you gave it oh, a shot. Oh, I'm sure I would. I'm absolutely certain I would love it. Cool. Okay, that's, that's kind of all of my recommendations for the week. I 
wanted to get all that out there because like i said we had talked around youtube a bunch but we never directly addressed youtube before um with that let's get into our geeky offer of the week so as always you can go to audibletrial.com slash geek to geekcast and get a free book and support us at the same time my recommendation for this week is the ahsoka book just because i've been watching a little bit of star wars rebels still and ahsoka was on my mind I had listened to this book back when it came out, and it's really cool because it's the voice actress that does Ahsoka. She's the oh, one who's cool. the narrator for the book, which makes it so good in an audible format. I have this on audiobook sitting in my library, and I did not realize that the narrator was actually Ahsoka. Yeah, yeah, that's why it's it's just such a good fit for Audible. So again, audibletrial.com slash geek to geekcast. Go get a free book, whatever, whatever you want. It doesn't have to be Ahsoka, but you could be because it's a good one. Um, and okay. Star Wars books, I do want to say Star Wars audiobooks are a production. And if you've never listened to an audiobook, it is a great place to start with a Star Wars one because they have a an incredibly high production value and the way that they put sound effects in, they are way more in depth than a lot of other audiobooks I've listened to. Yeah, that's a good point. Almost all the Star Wars ones are like that. Cool. Uh-huh. Okay, with that, it's time for Weekly Geekery, where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What do you got this week? Okay, Jen and Jeff, this is for you. Listen up. Uh, I watched Game of Thrones Season 6 this uh, this week. I, I, I actually had it on every now and then. I know last week I mentioned having just an episode on of The Expanse, of Game of Thrones, of Man of the High Castle, just bouncing between. Well, I hit an episode of Game of Thrones. I was like, I am watching this. And I powered through it and even stayed up late to watch all of season six in a row. I think I watched six episodes that day. Like it was, it got good, y'all. Like, you are so right. Like, everything that you said about season six, Void got my, got basically live tweeting of season six uh, during this day where I know he was in meetings. I know he was at work and I was working here, uh, like, on my laptop. And I just kept, like, having all of these thoughts about it. And, and I just had to say it. And there were things that I was just like, oh my goodness, this happened. And I've been looking forward to this. And it's like, ah, and it's like it honestly watching some of the stuff in episode nine at the beginning of episode nine, not the uh, awesome battle scene that you've told me about being really, really well shot, that it was the stuff at the beginning that was dealing with Daenerys has made me want to write a, a an all like a particular uh, new novel. Like I really want to write dragon fantasy now because i'm like oh man i forgot how much i love dragons and it's just like this series this season made this series better and it more than makes up for the really kind of terrible season five that made me stop caring about pretty much every bit of it well yeah and i mean like i said i i told you that this is where it started getting really good again and yeah. the problem is with kind of the underlying text i feel and not so much yeah. with the show the show has always done the best with what it has yes but, this is true um season one and two were book one and two but then season three and four were book three which is mm-hmm. book three in you know song of ice and fire is like the best one out of all of them that that have been released so far and the the book series just totally loses its way in book four and five it gets super slow not a lot happens it gets really boring i struggled to get through it and i made myself but man i hated those two books like i i hated how long they were how pointless so much of the stuff in them was yeah and they took these two books that are just the two biggest books from the series like massive book four and five they condensed all that down to one season to just get through it 
because apparently they agreed that all of that stuff was like unnecessary and boring because they shoved it all into season five. And, and season five was pretty stinky because of it. Season five is very slow because of it. But the other thing is that once they got to season six, they are basically outside of the books now. They are mm-hmm. into the stuff where they know basically what's going to happen because they've talked to the creator, but they get to make their own weight and it shows so much. Yes. Because where season one through five of the show kept kind of ballooning up and getting bigger and bigger with the cast. And yeah, sometimes people get killed off. But overall, the story kept growing consistently for season one through five. Season six is where it starts to contract back in and you start getting all of the payoffs that the entire series has been working towards. And I feel like it is only going to be like that the entire way Mm -hmm. through the end now. I don't think they're ever going to suddenly introduce new things that make the story balloon out with tons of new characters again. There might be a couple here and there, but nothing like what we've had before. I think it all is going to just, I think it's going to tighten up and it's going to speed up and we're going to get payoff after payoff all the way through the end of the series. And one issue that I've had with, and that's not saying that this season is perfect by any means. There are a lot of really questionable decisions that I had. I had, there are a lot of questionable decisions that the creators made going through like Sansa. I love where Sansa is in this season that she has come through. And this is kind of a spoiler, but not really a spoiler. So give me like 15 seconds here that she 20 seconds, maybe. And she, is a very, very strong character now that that she has stopped being this demure, silent type, but it falls back on the trope of that every strong woman has to be forged out of some sort of either sexual abuse or some sort of trauma in her background to make her that way. And that really upsets me that that was what they used to do this. Instead of just having that be a base part of her personality, it was having to be instilled by some sort of just awful that had to harden her and change who she was at her core. And I don't like that. And then there were issues. I mean, there are always issues with pacing and subplots that don't, you know, that don't really fit. I didn't think that the stuff with the Blackfish and Ed Muir Tully and all the stuff with River Run was necessary to this because it never really tied into a lot of other stuff in the season that they've, I felt that those were almost tangential to have parts that I believe were in the novels bringing back into the series. And uh, I liked some of the stuff with the Greyjoys and the Iron Islands, that some of that was interesting and other bits and pieces of it were I think it was character more than plot, which I really appreciated, but I think they lingered too much on it. They could have done a lot of the character development in different ways. Yeah, no, that's all valid, but it's still a really, really good season Great. of TV. Now, I do have to say, I will criticize one thing about what you've said about the uh, not about what you said here, but about the episode nine battle scene that there were moments that I thought were gratuitously violent rather than just showing the horror of war. But they did such magnificent job of making these giant uh, like fr- like frontline clashes feel chaotic and that you never knew what was going to happen. They made that shot in a way that I've never felt before. And it was so good to do that. And then they ruined it by having slow motion sequences that I thought those slow motion sequences didn't uh, bring you out of that in order to give you a reprieve or a respite like it was supposed to, and instead felt like it was too stylized. So it had these two disparate examples of what war scenes should look like instead of picking one aesthetic and going with it. 
so that that's me that that's yeah that that's how i felt about it but overall it is one of the most like intense battle scenes i've ever watched and it made me never want to experience that in a way that no battle scene has ever done before because you always think about these sword fights being kind of heroic and it's like oh look i'm on a battlefield and it's like man no this when you see it it's like nope don't want to do that like never again that is as disgusting and dirty as you expect it to be and you feel it it was like a medieval saving private ryan where it's just like oh and visceral yep definitely i still think it's just such a good episode of tv it like, really I mean, is and the fact that you get payoff for all these seasons yep. that have built up like it's finally getting there it's so good cool there and is legit payoff so you started you were reading the next rachel kane book right how far yeah, are some, you oh goodness i'm probably about a third of the way through it right now third to a half and it's super good like she made one decision We're that talking I think about paper is, and fire, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Paper and fire, the second uh second great library by Rachel Kane, second great library book by Rachel Kane. And she made a decision at the end of the first one that let that's obviously the one of the primary choices in this one. And I don't think I don't agree with the direction she took the main character. And uh without going into spoilers, I think that that particular way of going was almost a cop out and a cliche than uh maybe where it's going you know, by the time I get to the second half of this book, but I'm I'm totally invested and sad that I'm not going to get the third book until fall. Yes, I I think you'll feel better about it after you finish the book because I remember the start. I was like, oh, this is where we are. That's interesting. Um, I didn't yeah. have a negative reaction in the way that you did, but I did feel like the second half of that book becomes yeah i don't want to spoil it i I think you'll be okay with it by the time you finish the book Um, i hope so because the the situation that jess is placed in i think feels like a lot of other young adult books as opposed to something that the first book didn't feel like yeah finish the book and then we'll talk oh well yeah absolutely Okay, for me, uh, I tried the For Honor beta. For I played on PS4, but I think it was on all the systems this weekend. Yeah. Have you heard of For Honor? Do you know what it is? Uh, I've heard of it, and I've seen like that there was a beta, and that is the extent of my experience with it. So it's essentially like a melee fighting game. Not a fighting game. It's like a third-person action melee combat game that's trying to be a different kind of melee than has ever been there before. Okay. And... um. It's one where I really like it in theory, and I had loved everything I saw about this game right up until I got my hands on it, and I didn't like it. Like, I gave it a good four hours because people are like, oh, yeah, you got to get into the systems and really give it a chance. And, I mean, maybe maybe when the full game comes out, the single-player campaign will do a better job at, like, messaging and onboarding people, but there are... A bunch of systems stacked on top of each other and it's not really explained very well when you should be doing like which part of it i don't i don't know i just i didn't like the execution like it felt i don't even want to say imprecise it just felt like as flailing around in melee combat it didn't feel like it was advertised to feel okay um that if that makes sense I know exactly what you mean by that. Honestly, it fe- the way that you're describing this feels kind of like the way that we felt about No Man's Sky, where there were promises made where and it kind of fulfilled them. And then it's like there it's just a little off the mark. Yeah. Yeah. I just I didn't love the execution. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to like it. I think there are going to be people who love this game and I'm just not going to be one of them. And that's yeah. fine with me. Again, maybe a single player that really walks you through the systems 
like slower and better explains it and gives you a chance to master them as you go along would be better than just this quick tutorial into a multiplayer beta. Like, uh. that might be a big part of what I'm feeling right now. But it went from a game that I was super interested in to one that I will gladly wait until it drops in price if I ever even pick it up. Uh, you can game fly it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll wait until, you know, next fall and then I'll game fly it or something like that. Next time I pick up Gamefly. And so Fire Emblem Heroes, I'm still playing a lot. I've been playing it every yeah. day now. And I'm it. I'm slowing down, but not because I don't like it. It's because as you level up and as you get to the harder difficulty stuff, it costs you more and more stamina to do each battle. So oh, in the beginning, yeah. it costs you like one or two stamina to do most things. Once you get to the point where I'm at, it's costing like nine or ten stamina almost every time I want to do a battle. And you only ever have 50 stamina at a time. So it's like five battles and then you're done, you know? So I'm slowing down on it. I still haven't felt like I hit a paywall. I still haven't felt like I'm. it's super mean about it. Like, I don't resent the developers, but I am definitely playing less every time I sit down to play it. Or I'm not even sitting down to play mm-hmm. it. Every time I pull out my phone, I just don't play it for as long because I can't, which right. is frustrating. And I hate stamina as a mechanic. I think it's dumb. That is one thing that I usually hate, but Marvel Future Fight, I'm still playing that, by the way. I'm like eight weeks in, maybe, or something like that, where I'm still playing this every day. And it has an energy mechanic, and even though I run out of energy, to me, it feels like, okay, now's a good time to put down this game, as opposed to an artificial limit on, on okay, now you have to buy this, because there are enough ways of getting energy in it, where it's just like, okay, that means I'm out for a while, I'll go do something else now as opposed to like you say in in fire emblem where it's just like i can't go any further and see i felt like that about half a week ago so halfway between last time we talked about it and now when things were costing about i want to say like five to seven stamina per thing i think it was around five stamina each time so it was about 10 battles every time you sat down to do it that felt about right it felt like i would do it i would run out of stamina and be like this is a good spot to stop and before that, it was like I could go on forever. And I was like, when's a good point to stop this? And now it's like I, I'm not getting enough out of it. So yeah. there is definitely a middle ground. But now that I'm higher level in Fire Emblem Heroes, I feel like I'm beyond that. And I'm to the point where it's a little bit frustrating. And that might that might slow me down long term. But I'm still playing it every day. Now, I have a question about about Fire Emblem in general, that one of the issues that I'm having with it is, A, I care zero about the story. I mean, the story's super generic, and I know that you've told me about, you know, caring about the characters is a big part of it and this overall story. It's like, I don't care about the story mode in this. Like, I, it lost me in, like, chapter two. And just the same kind of thing over and over again. But is are the normal Fire Emblem games, are they as quick in battles as this with as few characters and as small battlefields? Because the only issue that I'm really running into right now, and I'm playing it every day as well, just not quite, probably as much as you are because you're so invested in the series, it's I'm playing it every day, I've got some characters around 20-ish, and it still feels like there's not nearly as much tactical, like, how can I even put this... It still doesn't feel as though there's as much I go into as much strategy and tactics, because if I realize what happened, it's like one battle and in three minutes I've figured it out, just moved characters around just slightly differently and I I win. It's like, is are the actual Fire Emblem games more tactical than this? And does this get any more tactical as you go? Yeah, absolutely. So the main thing is. I mean, this is the core of the Fire Emblem combat system, but it is only the core of it. There are none of like the 
really, really interesting tactical things in this game. Um, okay. The, I mean, the weapon triangle that you learn, you know, the different mm-hmm. colors and different weapons yeah. and how they're strong against each other. That's the core. That's the core of the system. Um, and then leveling characters up and stats and that kind of stuff. But yeah. the the real Fire Emblem games, well, this is a real game, the main Fire Emblem games, you probably have three to four times as many units on a battlefield that you oh, do right good. now. And the battlefields themselves are magnitudes bigger at least oh, 10 times bigger good. if not more than that like they're huge compared to this this oh, is jimmy williker's good yeah this is it distilled down to its form and in terms of story i would never say that the the story part of fire emblem is great it's usually pretty tropey it's usually pretty guessable but yeah. the characters in this are just like the characters in fire emblem heroes are just characters that have already existed in the series And one of the big draws for me with Awakening and with Fates is that the characters, they get interpersonal relationships as you go through the series. And that doesn't exist in Fire Emblem Heroes at all. Like, there are whole relationship mechanics for friendships and for romantic relationships and how characters can, like, get higher friendship ranks or higher relationship ranks with each other and then how that ties back and affects them in battle and you get custom cutscenes between two characters as they get to be more and more friends basically all right and so there's all of this like interpersonal development and that was that's probably one of my favorite things about the fire emblem games that i've played on 3ds and that's not in fire emblem heroes at all you know so keep all that in mind like if you're interested oh in, yeah 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 like, if you like the core of Fire Emblem Heroes, you should really look at one of the 3DS games. And I probably will, actually. That's something that this game has done is make me very interested in them, especially as much as I've heard you talk about them. And I figured it was a very, you know, obviously going to be a mobile game and designed for that platform, which is very well designed for that platform. But I'll, I felt like there was just a little bit like I wish the battlefields were bigger. That is my biggest concern here is that if they had shrunk the the sprite size down just a little bit to give a little more real estate i don't know just i wish it were a little bigger and have more had more game space yeah you should just look at a couple screenshots really quick from like fire emblem awakening or fire emblem fates just pull them up in your browser and you'll see right away what i'm talking about um but i did want to say like okay i think that turn-based strategy is one of the best genre fits on mobile and i don't Mm -hmm. know why we don't see more of it I think that, like, there's so much more that could be done with it. And I know I've talked in the past, like, I think when we did our Blizzard episode, if we could tell Blizzard what game we want them to do next or what genre we want them to tackle next, I would pick turn-based strategy, and I would want it to be something like Hearthstone that's on all the platforms, you know? I want to be able to play turn-based strategy on my computer and then take it on the go and have it on my phone and have it on my tablet if I'm sitting on my couch at night. Like... I want Blizzard to take on turn-based strategy and give me a game that I can play everywhere. That's kind of one of my dreams. And Fire Emblem Heroes is like partway there because it's a really good turn-based strategy, but it does have all that gotcha stuff on top of it. Did you look up the yeah. screenshots? I did. I see exactly what you're talking about. I, I That's exactly what I want out of the mobile game. Yeah, so th- they have it. It's just on 3DS right now. And eventually yeah. on the Switch, they announced one is coming to the Switch in 2018. Yeah. So, Oh, was it it'll that long? There. I thought it was in 2017. No, they, they announced a couple more games that are on 3DS, 2DS um, in the next year here. And then the one that you're probably thinking of is the Warriors game 
So it's like Fire Emblem Warriors, which is basically oh, like okay. Dynasty Warriors with Fire Emblem characters. Which I have zero interest in again. That's I tried to like that genre. That's one of them that I've tried to like over and over again and just consistently like bounce off of. Yeah. Because I love the idea of it. Like it's super fun for about 10 minutes for me. And then I'm like, yep, I've done this. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Um, and then the only other thing that I've really done this week is... I started getting back into the Genius game because I just put it on hold while I was busy with other stuff. And right. I watched about half of season three. And I I still I, I can still easily recommend season one and two. Season three is not as interesting so far. It, it's like all of the game design that I had talked about how elegant it was and how smart the actual games were in every episode. It's like they took that for season three and they made it one or two steps too complicated for each game to the point where like you can't see how the systems all interconnect well enough until you're like almost done with the game and then you can get some of that like social interaction back and forth like you know if you do this i can do this and then we can do x together um yeah whereas in the first two seasons you could if you plan that stuff out at the beginning if you set up your secret alliances and your you know public alliances correctly you could win the game before you ever started a game and that was super interesting. You can't really do that in season three yet. But also, I mean, the first half of the season, generally the second half of the season, the game designs become more elegant because they have to tighten it up because there are less players as you go on. So I'm right. hoping that it'll get better. And the main reason I'm pushing through is because one of my friends who has watched all four seasons said that season four is actually an all-stars version. So they take all the good things with season one, two, and three and combine them into one of the best seasons. So it's worth it to push through. And for somebody like you who who legit got invested in all of the like seasons and those people, that that, that sounds like a dream for you. Yeah, so I'm hoping that season four will be really good. Even if season three kind of stays at the level it's at right now, I'm not bored by it, but it's just not as good as the first two. Um, I'm hoping that season four will be just worth the time and the effort, and I'll let you know when I get there. Yeah. And then I was going to do a secret second topic, but we talked a lot about other stuff, which is fine. I think, okay, we were going to talk about Hitman because I've been playing a ton of Hitman, and I made BJ play it, and yep. he has thoughts too. I think maybe we make this our topic for next week. Yeah, and if not topic, at least half topic, depending on how much we can get out of it. Which yeah. would give me more time to play it and potentially get better at it. I think that what we might need to do is you play it and you stream it over to me so I can help you get a handle <laughs> on the level. Oh, I'm, oh, that's not as fun, though. Well, okay, but... Oh, you should see me bumbling around. I See, this is also part of it. I want to see you bumbling around. <laughs> but, I mean, the first time through each level... It's a little bit frustrating. It's a little bit like, how do I even approach this? But once yeah. you start to learn some of the core concepts of each level, then you have enough information that you can start to build on that on your own and kind of you you make it your own. You learn to start slowly master the level by building out right. from what you know works. You know, once you get like the mission accomplished one time, you're like, okay, I have one way that I know that works. What can I do from what I know to build out towards yeah. these other things? And okay, save it for next week. Save no, it. no, I will save okay. it for next week. The one thing I did want to tell you about though is, and this is for listeners too, if you are going to these Hitman levels and you're feeling a little overwhelmed, there are... If you go into the menu, there's tons of challenges and feats and, you know, mastery levels and all these, like, escalation missions. All these things I've talked about a little bit over the last few weeks. One of them in there is called opportunities. And yes. that is what you should follow when you first get into a level. 
try to do all the opportunities because if you walk through each one, they will give you obvious ways to complete the mission, but it also teaches you about that level and the systems within that level. So if you're looking for a place to start, if you can't quite get a grasp on it, start with the opportunities. And don't be like I did. And when you get your first opportunity, see a way to do it and then ruin it. Yeah, don't do that. I ruin a lot. Also save scum. Save scum like crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it helps a lot. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think that's it for this week. Um, you can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have our longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. Which is fantastic where we have uh, weekly geekery for all of the listeners where there's a great discussion going on there all the time. So jump over there even if you're not a typical Redditor. And if you want to get any kind of email updates whenever any of our network's podcasts show up in your feed, uh, you can sign up at geek2geekcast.net and just tell us which of the shows you want to know when they come out. I blog at agreenmushroom.com, less right now, but I'll pick it up here again as I settle into the new job. Um, And you can find me at grnmushroom, that's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter, that's the best way to get me. It is, and same for me, I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beege, that's Beege with two E's, and I blog and occasionally podcast at geekfitness.net. We've been Void and Beege with your geek to geek podcast, that'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Kitty, kitty videos, watch kitty videos. (laughs) 